0: Open your copy of God's Word to John chapter 1, and I hope you do have your copy of God's Word. John chapter 1 and verses 29 through 34 is where we're headed this morning. As we continue our series here in John chapter 1, we arrive at verse 29 this morning. John chapter 1 and verses 29 through 34 And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read. Verse 29, John 1. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said... he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, so far in our studies here in John chapter 1, we've seen four of the seven names for Jesus the Apostle John uses here and. In chapter 1, we've seen Jesus the Word, we've seen Jesus the Light, we've seen Jesus the Son of God, and we've seen Jesus the Christ. Last week, Jesus the Christ. This morning we arrive at verse 29, and we find the fifth name for Jesus here in John chapter 1. And if you've been paying attention to any of the songs we've sung this morning, you know the name, right? It is Jesus the Lamb of God. Jesus, the Lamb of God. We're going to center this and next week's study around this name for Jesus. Jesus, the Lamb of God. We're going to look this morning at, at these verses 29 through 34. And I want you to see specifically as we, as we walk through these verses together, John the Baptist's testimony about the Lamb of God. Because he's testifying about who Jesus is. And so I want to show you John's testimony about the Lamb of God, and then Lord willing, next Sunday we're going to come back and uh, look at, with again, with this idea of the Lamb of God at, at the following verses, 35 through 42, about what happens when you believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God, because something very important will take place when you believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God. It may not be what you think it is, but if you want to know, um, study verses 35 through 42 this week, but that's... For next Sunday, don't look at them yet. Um, You you can look at them after I'm done preaching this morning, okay? That's next Sunday. All right, don't get distracted. It's verses 29 through 34 this morning, okay? Now, we're looking at the testimony of John the Baptist. And and we begin with this remarkable statement in verse 29. And um, Charles Spurgeon called this statement, The whole gospel in very brief form. And I think he's right. You just listen to it. You hear it. You see it. You know it. It's what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming. He said, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John the Baptist, we said that that John the Baptist was uh, one who testified of Christ, who pointed to Christ. We noted that, especially last week, that he was all about pointing people to Jesus, wasn't he? I mean he wasn't talking about himself. If he said if he referred to himself in any way, it was it was really in a way to point to Christ one more way. And so John the Baptist is still, and he's still this morning, as we look at these verses, he's still pointing to Christ. And he's still continuing in his witness as to the identity of Christ. Who is Christ? And he's telling us here. So we see in verse twenty nine, and it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. Now, this is apparently the day after the conversation that John the Baptist had with the delegation that came to question him about his identity, John the Baptist's identity. They came to question him because some were thinking, maybe maybe this is the Messiah that we're looking for. We saw it last week in verses 19 to 28. John was all about pointing people to Jesus Christ and away from himself. And he said hardly anything about himself. And we saw it last week that, that what was said about himself just just pointed people back to Christ. So it's the next day. And in verse 29, we note that John sees Jesus coming. And what does he say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I want you to remember that John the Apostle, who's writing this, it's confusing, isn't it? John the Apostle wrote the Gospel of John every time. John the Apostle mentions a John in his his gospel. It's about John the Baptist. So, remember, John the Apostle, who wrote the gospel, who's writing this, is telling about Jesus so that we will see him for who he is, right? So that we'll see Jesus. We'll see and realize that, that Jesus is God in human flesh, and that we'll believe in Jesus that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, that from John chapter 20 and verse 31, that's John's purpose, John the Apostle's purpose, for writing this gospel. So that we'll see the testimony given by John the Apostle, John the Baptist, and many others, we'll see and hear their testimony, and we'll see and believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, Is this the first time that John and Jesus had met? Is this the first time? You know your New Testament, you know, the answer is no. This is not the first time that John and Jesus had met. For one thing, the context of the passage tells us that. But for another thing, remember, John and Jesus are related. Okay. So they've probably known each other for a really long time. They're cousins. All right. So Remember, they are related. There's an indicator, of course, back in verse 26 that we saw last week that John had been with Jesus before this. There's also the clear statement in verses 32 and 33 that show that they had been together before now when John does what? He points back to the point in time that he baptized Jesus. And so when you see this statement from John in verse 29, when you see this statement from John here, understand that he's not just now discovering, he's not just now learning who Jesus is, but he's pointing out to others who Jesus is. But having said that, note this, that that John the Baptist, though related to Jesus, though he'd likely known Jesus all his life, did not know until it was revealed to him by God the significance of who Jesus Christ is is really who Jesus is, God in flesh. Okay? So John the Baptist did not know that about Jesus, his cousin, until it was revealed to him by God. This is who Jesus is. Now we're going to come back to that thought in a couple of verses. But first this, John sees Jesus coming, and once again, he's, uh, he's faithfully pointing to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He's pointing people's attention of those around him to Jesus Christ, and he says, "Behold." That's what you say when you look outside at the beautiful day, right? And you look at something. Or if you look at our house, like we did the other day, and we saw a turkey in the backyard, and I and I was studying, and I kept hearing this, bloop, bloop. you know, it's like, "Would you guys knock it off for Pete's sakes?" So around our house, there's enough shenanigans, right? I say, like, "Knock off the turkey sounds." And to come to find out, it was a real turkey, okay. And so my family stood at the window and they said, Behold! You believe that? That's not what we say, is it? We say, Look! That's what John was saying. Alright? He, he said, Behold! He was saying, Look! Look! They're all gathered around him. He, he may be teaching them. We don't know that. But he may be teaching them. He may be preaching. And, and Jesus... Walks by. He may have a few people gather around him, talking to him, and he sees Jesus coming. And John says, look, Jesus, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Don't look at me. Look at him. He says, look, look, the Lamb of God. This is important, people. He says, stop what you're doing. Stop listening to me. Start looking at him. Here's the one I've been telling you about. He says, this is the Lamb of God. Now, what does that mean? He says, look, the Lamb of God. And to us, you know, uh, if we're saturated with God's word, the Lamb of God has a lot of meaning to us, doesn't it? But think about the people who were gathered around John the Baptist. All right. They don't have. They don't have our hearts saturated with the New Testament and Jesus Christ being the lamb and shedding his blood for our sins. What they have in their mind is is a lamb that's sacrificed, a real lamb. Now, this is something that would have been very familiar to the Jewish people, the idea of a sacrificial lamb. And we're going to come back to this thought tonight and, and kind of go into a little bit of detail about what the Bible means when it calls Jesus Christ the lamb of God. And kind of some implications for us about that. So I'm not going to go into great detail, but I do want to tell you this about lambs and and what, what they were thinking when John says, look, the Lamb of God. The Jewish people knew all about, and like you do, they knew all about Abraham and Isaac and about the lamb that Abraham was sure God would provide for the sacrifice and the lamb that God did provide for the sacrifice. And there was also the Passover lamb that they were very familiar with, that was sacrificed, and its its blood was was shed and then sprinkled on the doorposts. So they were very familiar with that sacrificial lamb, that Passover lamb. They were also very familiar with the sacrificial lamb that was offered up twice a day, morning and evening. They were very familiar with a lamb and its blood being shed as an offering, as a burnt offering. The lamb was slain. So Jewish people would have also known about Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 53.7 of a lamb that would be led to slaughter. Isaiah 53.7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. They'd have been familiar with that passage too. Now you know what that passage is about, right? That's prophetic about who? It's about Jesus Christ, right? That's about Jesus. And John's here pointing to him, knowing what these people are uh, having in their minds. They understand about the lamb and they understand about the sacrificial system. And what does he say? He says, look, he says, behold, the lamb of God. Now, that's a very special lamb, isn't it? Because he's the lamb of God He's also very special for other reasons. We'll see the lamb of God. You need to listen to this today. Listen. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is the final sacrifice. They were were familiar. The Jewish people were very familiar with the sacrificial lamb. But it was a daily thing. Morning and evening. Morning and evening. Every day. Every week. Every year. Jesus Christ, once for all. The final sacrifice. Hebrews seven twenty seven says of Christ, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself once for all. Now throughout Israel's history God over and over and over again made it very clear that sin and separation from him could be removed only by the blood of sacrifices and that the lamb that was sacrificed the lamb that was used for sacrifice had to be spotless that lamb had to be perfect Now with that in mind listen to this passage from Leviticus chapter 4 where it says in verses 32 through 35 that describes this if If he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar and all of its fat that he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings, and the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings, and the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. So here's John's testimony. and All wrapped up in this, Behold, look, the Lamb of God. The Jewish people understand the Jewish sacrificial system in the Lamb. And the priest has to go in and offer sacrifices for his own sin first. And what does John say about the Lamb of God? He says that this is the Lamb of God, a very special Lamb, because he is God's Lamb. But also, because he takes away the sin of the world. And note that that he didn't say sins. You may have never thought about that. Look at it. He doesn't say sins. He said sin. John MacArthur says he doesn't take away only the symptoms. He takes away the disease. I like that. He doesn't just take away the symptoms. He takes away the disease. Jesus Christ, listen, is the spotless lamb of God. The perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when John says sin of the world, you need to understand that he's pointing to the fact that forgiveness of sin isn't only for the Jews. When he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's saying, listen, Jewish people who are standing there, listen. This isn't just for you. Okay. You think you're a called out people and chosen. You know Israel a called out and chosen people. But you think that you're accepted into God's kingdom just as you are. That's we talked about that last week. That's why He was baptizing because He was, He was telling Jewish people who had no who in their minds had no need of baptism because they were God's chosen. That you're sinners. You need to confess your sin and believe in Jesus Christ. And so that when they did and when they identified with that need of salvation from their sin, then they would pass through the waters of baptism. To say, look, yes, I too need baptism. Not just not just converts to Judaism, but yes, me a Jew, I need... And so here's John. He saying, look, this is not, this Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is not just for the Jewish race. It's for all human beings in general, is the idea here. It's for all human beings worldwide in general. But note, and this is important, that it's not for all human beings without exception. And here's what I mean. Certainly, Jesus Christ can take away sin because he is, a, he is the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. But how is this true that he is the, the sacrifice for sin for, for human beings in general, but not for all human beings without exception? It's true because your sins are forgiven only if you believe. You hear that? It's true that your sins are only forgiven, only if you believe. Now, some would falsely teach that this verse is saying that everyone will be saved. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Well, look at look at John 129. The whole world's going to be saved. Uh uh-uh. uh. That is not what this verse is teaching. That is called universalism, and that is clearly not what the Bible teaches. And what the Bible does repeatedly teach is that this is the same as this verse. This verse is saying that everyone has the opportunity for salvation, right? Everyone worldwide, mankind in general, Jesus Christ goes to the cross and is a sacrifice for sin. What the Bible does repeatedly teach is that many, many people, and this is a sad thing when we realize it, that many, many people will face an eternal punishment in hell. The Bible teaches that clearly and makes it clear that there will be many who perish. You know what that ought to compel you and me to do? that to compel you and me to tell people about Jesus. Because there will be many who will perish. God's word is clear about that. Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14 tells us of Jesus' teaching on this matter. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Don't miss that. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. We're not talking about a works of salvation here. But you need to realize that you're a sinner in need of saving. And people today, as in centuries past, still have a hard time believing they need to be forgiven of their sins. And that they need to believe in Jesus. But Jesus said the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are what? Few. Here's the point. Sin is a worldwide problem. You agree, right? And you especially say, especially at my neighbor's house. Right? Sin is a world. I mean, I look at my neighbors. They're sinners. Right? I turn on the television. There are sinners. Right? Sin is a worldwide problem. You are a sinner. You know that, right? You know, too, that I'm a sinner and that sin is a worldwide issue. It's a worldwide problem. All of mankind needs to be forgiven their sin, correct? All of mankind desperately needs forgiveness of sin. Sin issue is a worldwide problem. And it's without distinction. It's without race. It's without nationality. It is without ethnicity. And for those who believe in Jesus Christ, apart from race, apart from ethnicity, apart from nationality, for all who believe in Jesus Christ, they have their sins forgiven. Their sin is forgiven. And it's because of the Lamb of God and the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. That's what John's statement is about, and that went counter to what the Jewish people were thinking, because you know what they were looking for? They were just looking for a Messiah who would come along and set up his kingdom and and set up his earthly reign, his earthly kingdom, and and make things better. I'll tell you what, Jesus makes things better, all right? Amen? (laughs) Amen. Because he deals with the heart issue, the root of the problem. He deals with sin. But Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I would just suggest this morning that you ought to give praise to God that the sacrifice of Christ is completely sufficient to save all who believe in him. You ought to give praise to God that his sacrifice was once for all the sacrifice that, that finished all those sacrifices that came before it is completely sufficient to save all who believe in him, and that people, that is the witness of Scripture. Let me just give you a few examples. John three verses fifteen and sixteen tells us that whoever believes in Jesus has what? Eternal life, right? John three eighteen says that whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 6.40, for this is the will of my Father that everyone, hear that, everyone who does what? Who looks on the Son of Man and believes on the Son. I asserted man there. Let me try that again. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have what? Eternal life. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. To Him, that is Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone, hear that, you hear it? Everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Romans one sixteen. for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to for salvation to everyone who believes. You hear it, don't you? Again and again. And I could keep going. I really could. The witness of Scripture is very clear. Believe in Jesus Christ and be forgiven your sin. Belief. There is no other way. And we all need our sins forgiven or what? perish in our sins don't we we die in our sins and we suffer eternal punishment in hell that too is the very clear teaching of scripture and it's what we can conclude from of course those passages that i just called out if you don't believe in jesus christ the son of god the lamb of god you remain what you remain condemned in your sin But still some might ask, but but why believe that that's who Jesus is? Why believe that that's who Jesus is? Look at verse 30 where John the Baptist says this, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now there were likely people there, remember, they're standing about and in the same probably in the same location right that they were the day before and here comes Jesus and there were likely people there on this day that had been there on the previous day when John told the delegation questioning him in verses 26 and 27 when he said among you stands one uh, you do not know even he who comes after me the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie John says he here he comes and that's him look The Lamb of God, and before, listen to me, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. He ranks before me because he is, essentially he's saying, he is God in human flesh. He's before me. I was created, says John. I was created. He was not created. He's existed always. Again, this is John's witness. Here he is. This is the one I've been telling you about. It's him you should follow, not me. Follow him. It's him you should believe in. But how did John know? How did John know this was the one? How did did John know that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Lamb of God? Look at verse 31. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, you need to understand here, John knew Jesus personally. So when he says, I did not know him, he's not saying I didn't know him, period. He knew him personally before Jesus' baptism. But before then, he didn't know Jesus as the one he was to reveal to Israel. Remember, John says, That this is the purpose for which I came baptizing with water, that I may reveal Jesus. This is John's testimony. Who told John to baptize with water? God did. This is John's testimony. I came baptizing. I'm just being obedient, I'm just doing what I'm told. I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness, right? And I came baptizing to make Christ known. I came baptizing so people would see their own sinfulness and their need of the Lamb of God who would be sacrificed for sin and take away their sin when they believe in him. That's why I'm baptizing. And here's how John knew for certain that it was Jesus who was Messiah. Verses 32 and 33 says, look at them. And John bore witness. I saw He's talking about what he saw with his eyes. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. There he says it again. Again, it's not as if he didn't know Jesus at all. He said he did not know that Jesus was the Messiah, the Lamb of God, until this point. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me. In effect, here's how you'll know. Here's how you'll know. He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. God had told John this. God had told John. And by this supernatural sign from God, it was very clear to John that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was Messiah. That Jesus was the Lamb of God. That Jesus was the Son of God. That Jesus was God in human flesh. God told him to go and baptize and keep your eyes open and here's the sign I'll give you and he's the one John tells us he testifies of Christ one more thing John mentions that points clearly to the deity of Christ if you're still having trouble with this you're not having trouble with this are you Jesus is God in human flesh. But sometimes, you know, your friends and neighbors will go, "Eh, why do you, you know, why do you make such a big deal of Jesus? Here's one more thing. John points out that makes a very clear statement about the deity of Christ. It was when he said that his own baptizing was with water. John's baptizing was was with water, right? Jesus would baptize his followers with what? The Holy Spirit. Jesus would baptize his followers with the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how excited I am about that right now. Okay, I'm I'm not very demonstrative in that way sometimes, right? But inside I'm thinking, Jesus Christ gives us the Holy Spirit. He baptizes me with the Holy Spirit. It's not just water. Does that thrill your soul? It ought to. It ought to encourage you. It ought to give you great joy and hope and encouragement that God the Son baptizes you with God the Spirit. You have God the Spirit indwelling you. That is magnificent. That is very significant. That is tremendous, to say the very least. John says, look, I baptized with water but Jesus baptizes with the holy spirit believers in Jesus Christ receive not only forgiveness for sin not only forgiveness for sin that's major you realize how big that is that we for, that we receive forgiveness of sin you and I can't do that in our own strength there's nothing you can do to make to make yourself forgiven the only thing you can do is believe in Jesus Christ he forgives you he takes the punishment for your sin right but not not only that, the, the good news doesn't stop there. It's like those goofy commercials. But wait, there's more, right? There is more. There's there's way more. There's way more. He gives you eternal life. He gives you eternal life. How long is eternity? Just answer that question for me. And how long is forever, okay? You're going to give me an answer, I'll give you another question. How long is forever? Right? Jesus Christ takes the punishment for your sin. He forgives your sin, and he gives you eternal life. You ought to have great hope. Amen. But wait, there's more. Right? He gives you the Holy Spirit. It's like you get door number three too, right? You get door number one and door number two. And you, I'm going way back for some of you, right? <laughs> this is why this is so important. That that Jesus Christ baptizes with the Holy Spirit for one thing, it points to His deity. Correct? It points to His. The fact that he is God in human flesh. But this is significant. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life brings great hope as we look to eternity. And yes, it brings great hope for today. But here's something that really brings hope for today. Extra special hope. An extra measure of hope for today. Because today... If you are a follower of Christ, you have the indwelling presence of God the Spirit living in you because Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, paid for your sin on the cross and rose from the dead to defeat the grave and sin and death and Hades, right? And lives today and lives in you so that you can be done with sin so that you can live today in the face of great heartache at times, great challenge at times, great opposition at times, when you stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives you his Holy Spirit. As we live in the here and the now, and we look forward to eternity and eternal life, We enjoy now the presence of the Holy Spirit working in us when we believe in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit guides the believer into the truth, says God's word. And that is specifically, let me just challenge you with this. That doesn't happen by osmosis. You need to open God's word and you need to read God's word for yourself. And then the Holy Spirit will lead you into that truth. Specifically for the purpose of helping you obey. That's why the Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Because truth frees you from sin. Obedience to truth frees you from sin. So you have this great hope as you live today. You have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who guides the believer into truth. And that truth is specifically found in God's word. And the Holy Spirit strengthens the believer to live with the truth guiding them. You need the truth. You need to open God's word. You need to read God's word. And and can I just encourage you here, if you think this is hard, please don't. Please don't think it's hard. Please don't make it hard. If, you've, if you don't make a regular practiced habit of reading God's word, I can just simply encourage you to get into the word and begin to read. You're going to have questions. You're going to see things that you're not quite sure about. And you may even begin to make notes about some things. Boy, I want to study this and I want to understand this better. But read God's word because scripture often will help explain itself. As you keep reading, you'll understand. We talked about it Wednesday night. Don't just read a verse, read a paragraph. And my kids, when I asked them about that, what does that mean? Don't just read a verse. They said, read the whole Bible. I said, yes, it does. Read the whole Bible. But don't just read a paragraph. Don't just read a verse. Read a paragraph, right? Because you'll understand better. But by implication, don't just read a paragraph. Read a chapter. Don't just read a chapter. Read a book of the Bible, right? And for some of you, you just need to stop and read a book over and over and over again and as you do God God will bless you with insights that you were unable to grasp before because you weren't really surrendered before the word. And so the Holy Spirit equips you as you take in the word and gives you the word takes you into the truth and helps you live your life day by day because you have the spirit and because you're yielding to the God's to God's word. And this is why John testifies of Christ. He says it in verse 34. Look at verse 34. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. He says, I've seen it and I'm here to witness. I'm here to tell you, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is why it's so important to believe in Jesus. This is why John the Baptist is a beacon of truth, a shining light, a voice that calls out to people to believe in Christ. And you and I should be, too. If we're followers of Christ, we should be beacons. We should be voices who call out to people. Know Jesus. Know who Jesus is and believe in him. Because those who believe have life and the life of the Holy Spirit at work in them, drawing them to the truth, drawing them through life with the truth to help them face all of life's journeys. Those who believe have life. They have eternal life. And they have the life of the Holy Spirit at work in them. And that because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away The sin of the world. So can I just act like John for a moment? Look. Look to the Lamb of God. And believe. Look to the Lamb of God and believe. You say, I have? Praise God. Look to the Lamb of God and keep believing. Because he has given you gifts beyond which we have words to express the magnificence of them, right? God has blessed us richly in Jesus Christ. Look to the Lamb of God and believe. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, Oh, how we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. How how privileged we are to have your word, to be able to hold copies of your word in our hand. God, help us. Help your children to not neglect your word. That we would see these truths and many, many more. That they would build us up and encourage us and equip us To leave this place and to go out into the world in which you have us living, where you've put us. To live for your glory that we might point at Jesus and say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Will you believe? God help us to be those people who live with this realization of the the wonderful blessings that are ours because Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. God, help us to honor and glorify the Lamb of God with our lives, with our service, with our obedience. And, oh God, I pray, those who do not know you as Lord and Savior, Father, those who do not know the Son, Those who have not looked to Jesus, the Lamb of God, and believe, God, I pray, melt their heart of stone. Draw them to yourself and and help them to see and believe and trust. God, help them. Help us to be faithful to share this wonderful news. And then, God, help us to be faithful to live in light of these powerful and wonderful truths that we might have constant joy and hope in knowing who Jesus is and what he has accomplished on our behalf. God, give us strength and wisdom to live for your glory that we might make him known to the world in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.